Amen. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. And that's what we'll do this morning. Be sure to fill out your connection card this morning and drop it in the offering plate when you're leaving. Now on the back, you'll notice that there's a box where you can check if you're coming to the July 4th picnic. Now, it's actually going to be on July the 3rd, okay? Sunday, right after the morning worship service, we're going to have fellowship, go into the fellowship hall. The church will provide the hamburgers, the hot dogs. The church is providing everything. Uh, <clears throat> we just asked, uh, we'll have an offering plate there in the, in the uh, DFC that you can drop in a, a small donation and help defer some of that cost. But we need to know about how many are coming so please check that box. And then also, if you would like to help out in Vacation Bible School, check that box as well. I think we still have a couple openings if you're interested in being a part of that. And then on Tuesday, July the 5th, uh, we're going to open up the uh, fellowship hall for children to come and play games. Uh, we did that a couple weeks ago. We had a good turnout, a lot of children here. So take note of that. Tuesday, July 5th from 12 o'clock until 2 o'clock. It's good to see everyone this morning, and I'm going to ask Ron to come and open us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, another beautiful Sunday that we come together to worship you. And Father, as we gather together uh, in fellowship and worship, we ask that you be with us that your spirit be with each and every one of us that are here and those that are uh, at home watching uh, and our shut-ins and our homebound people. We ask, Father, that you be with them and bless them and uh, be bless us as we continue this worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, stand as we sing, Come Thou Almighty King, please.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Would you read with me? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we meet the Lord forevermore. Therefore, encourage each other with these words, the word of God. Continue to keep him in your prayers as he recovers. Joan Williams' husband, Richard, is home on hospice. And then Kay Prince is going through rehab. Uh, for those living in senior living facilities, uh, Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, and Tony Myrick. And our homebound members are Dudley Perry and Cindy Bellmeyer. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are encouraged today. We're encouraged because of the promise of Christ's soon return. Thank you, Father, for revealing your future plans that we might be prepared for that moment when it comes. And, Father, knowing that Christ is coming, may we live not for the day, but for eternity. Thank you, Father, for the joy and the comfort, the hope that the return of Christ brings to us. And, Father, we know that when Christ returns, all the sadness, the sorrow, the grief... The heartache of this world will be a distant memory. And that is a thing to rejoice. Father, we pray for those who need you, your healing touch. You are the great physician. You know each need that's been mentioned here. And Father, our prayers are with our loved ones and family who need your healing touch. We pray, Father, that you'll also uh, use us to bring about your love and forgiveness to those who are all around us who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, Father, as we study your word, Father, we pray that we'll be encouraged, that uh, your word will dispel doubt, diminish our fears, calm our anxieties as we look forward to the return of Christ. Father, we pray for the men and women who serve in our military. We're thankful for each one and their commitment to our country. Today, we pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Adna Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Coges, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, and Jason Maxey. And Father, we pray for our police officers, firefighters, and others who risk their lives every day to keep us safe. Father, we pray for families, that they'll be strong, marriages to be strong. And may your love, your joy, and your peace fill every home represented here today. And help us, help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, our strength, and our mind. 
and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. until he comes back and his return is getting close but until then every Sunday 
we're going to observe the Lord's table. From the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 12 through 14. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Father, let's pray. Father, today we take the bread in gratitude and thanksgiving. As we drink the cup, we are reminded of the blood that Jesus shed for us in his death on the cross. We come to this table not because we must, but because we may. As we have our private prayers with you today, we confess our sins and ask that you remind us of our responsibilities, which are part of the privilege of being a Christian in our day. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for all of the past, present, and future Christians. All we had to do was to believe in Jesus, his death, and resurrection from the grave. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Our offertory scripture today is from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let's pray. Father God, your word makes it clear that we should give joyfully and give generously. Those who give are blessed many times over. Our church will use these gifts to help the poor and needy and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ locally, nationally, and around the world. Lord, I thank you for the many cheerful and generous people in our church. May you direct us to use the gifts and tithes according to your holy will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, this morning. It's page 719, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. 719 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Mark, chapter 13. And uh, we're not, if it's all right with you, I'm not going to read the uh, entire chapter. We're going to cover it this morning. But rather than read it all the way through, I thought what we'll do is I will read it as we work our way through the passage during the sermon, if that's all right with you. All right. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this wonderful day. We're blessed that we can open your word and study it, especially in a passage like this where the Lord himself is revealing the end times. So, Father, help us to be um, willing to grasp what he is teaching us today. And it may change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll try this wireless. First of all, I'll be able to can. All right, we're not going to try the wireless. We're going to get that fixed one of these days, I promise. All right. A worldwide pandemic. Food shortages. A war in Europe. Turmoil in the Middle East. Civil unrest, political instability, and financial uncertainty. No wonder so many people are suffering with anxiety because of the future. 
What does the future hold? But you know what? For those who are looking for the Lord to come back, all of these world events that we're looking at only help us to shore up the belief that His return is getting very, very close. On God's clock, it is later than it has ever been before. And yet, you know what's interesting? More and more Christians today, even Christians, are asking the question, why should I be concerned about the second coming of Christ? Why should I study it? Why should I read about it? Why should I teach about it? I mean, how is the second coming of Christ going to help me right now with my financial struggles? How is the second coming of Christ going to help me work through my health problems? How is the second coming of Christ going to help me resolve some of my relationship problems? So why should I be interested and concerned about the second coming of Christ? What Jesus is going to share with us today is going to make a big difference. Now I want to make certain I want to make certain that we are all on the same page when we talk about the coming or the return of Christ. That there are two phases to the coming of Christ that we're going to look at. Now, I put it on a chart to kind of help us out a little bit. But let's make certain we're all together. There are two phases to the Lord's return. There's what we call the rapture. The rapture is when the Lord is going to call us, who are believers, up and out of this world. He's going to meet us in the clouds. And the rapture could happen today. That is the next event on God's end time calendar. That could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. There, it is imminent, we say. There's nothing that is preventing the Lord from coming back and rapturing us out. Now, when the Lord does rapture us out of here, that will trigger a series of end time events. And the first one, of course, being the tribulation period of seven years. And during those seven years, there will be famine and war, there will be uh, pandemics, there will be disease and death on a scale the world has never seen. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is, during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to rule. And he's going to rule with an iron fist. He's going to dictate everything that we do. That not we will do, we'll be out of here. But what the people on this earth who are left behind what they're going to be doing because he's going to make everybody get a mark on their hand or on their forehead and that way through computers they're going to be able to to monitor everything that we purchase or people purchase at that time that they purchase and buy and he will dictate with an iron fist. At the end of the tribulation we have the second phase of the Lord's return and we'll call it the second coming. That is when Jesus comes back to this earth. He's going to establish his kingdom and he will reign for a thousand years on the earth. Now, the second coming, this is, this is foundational in our Christian faith. There are over 300 references in the New Testament concerning the second coming of Christ. In fact, 23 out of 27 New Testament books make reference to the return of Christ. There are only four books in the New Testament, that do not mention the return of Christ. For, uh, they are Second John, Third John, and Philemon, which have one chapter each, and the book of Galatians, which has six chapters. But the Bible has a lot to say about the Lord's return. In fact, in the last chapter 
of the last book in the Bible, we have the last recorded words of Jesus. And he says three times, I'm coming, I am coming, I am coming. And we are living in those days where the Lord's return is imminent. I, I think of it this way. Have you, ever, have you ever been to a play and you're sitting there, you know, in the audience and you're waiting for the play to begin? And, and you're listening carefully and, and you can hear uh, the, the actors getting their places ready. And you can hear the stagehands. They're putting all the scenery together. You can hear them behind the curtain. And you know when you hear all those noises that they're getting everything ready, you know the curtain is about to go up. Well, when you see the things we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to see that the curtain is about to go up. The Lord is about to come back. The rapture is around the corner because we're going to see the Lord talk about that. So, you know, we're continuing our series through the life of Christ. We're doing it through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been on the top of the mount, uh, the Temple Mount, for the whole day teaching. And he's preparing to leave. And as he's preparing to leave, he's going to issue a stunning, the most stunning prophecy that he ever, ever gives. And it's really, it's two prophecies. One of them is a near prophecy, and one is a far prophecy. And in the middle of these two prophecies, he gives us the signs that tell us we're getting close. So let's take a look. In fact, what I want to do, I want to divide this chapter into three parts. We're going to look at the near prophecy, and then we're going to look at the signs that tell us, hey, we're close. And then we're going to look at the distant prophecy. So that's what we're going to cover. So let's look first of all. First of all, let's look at Jesus' prophecy of the near future. Verse number one, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, the temple mount at that time and the temple itself, what it was an impressive, it was an impressive uh, structure. It was a it was a marvel of architectural design. It was a beautiful building. It was pure white stone, and it had gold plating all around it as decorative. And you would think that, you know, Jesus would say, you know, it is, wow, it is a massive building. It's beautiful. But what Jesus says to this, his disciple is stunning. Verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone will be left on the other. Everyone will be thrown down. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying the temple is going to be destroyed. This massive building that appears so indestructible is going to be destroyed. And you know what? It was. Exactly as Jesus said. 35 years later, the Roman army comes storming into Jerusalem. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem, but they torch the temple now outside it's stone but inside you have cedar wood you have curtains you have other flammable items they set the temple ablaze and you know what happens to all that gold that was in that temple it began to melt and it seeped into all the little cracks and crevices between all the stones of the temple so you know what the romans did one by one Stone by stone, they dis, 
dismantled the temple to retrieve every ounce of gold. And Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled exactly as he said it would. Jesus said, not one stone would be left on another. And you know what? That is exactly what happened 35 years later. That is the near prophecy. Now, is that significant? Oh, it's very significant. Because what it tells us is that Jesus is 100% accurate in a near prophecy of 35 years in advance. He's equally accurate in his prophecies that are going to take place in the distant future, which we're going to look at, which is the second coming. But I want to look at the second thing now. The second part we're going to look at here is the near and far prophecies. And what I, I should have really entitled this, Jesus signs. He's going to give us signs to the prophecies that are near and far. Take a look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? Talking about the temple's destruction. Tell us when the temple will be destroyed. And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Tell us when the temple is going to be. What signs can we be looking for that says the temple is about to be destroyed? And Jesus answers their question. He's going to give them some signs to look for. That say, here's what you look for. The temple's about to be destroyed. But he goes beyond that. He also says that these same signs are what you will look for for my second coming. Now, in other words, he's going to answer them with a... He's going to paint a portrait here. An amazing portrait of the days that will lead up to the temple's destruction. But the same signs will also lead up to his return in the future, which is yet to come. So, let's take a look at this. He begins... What he does, he actually begins... Uh, these um, these signs with a, with a frame around them. And you'll notice, I tried to uh, point that out on our PowerPoint here, that notice the first thing he does is he mentions false Christs and false prophets. Let's read this, verse number 5. Jesus said to them, here it is, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he and will deceive many. Then he concludes this series of signs with the same warning in verse 21. Verse 21. At the same time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles and deceive the elect, if that were possible. It's not. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So he frames these Really, we're going to call them three, three signs. He frames them around the signs of false teachers. And by the way, that happened. Just prior to the destruction of the temple, there were many false Christs and false prophets. The uh, historians, Josephus, and others tell us about that. But here's what's important. In the days before the Lord comes back, there will be an escalation of false Christ, false prophets, and false teaching. Now, what I want to focus on for a minute, a couple minutes, are the three signs that we are to be looking for. Wars, earthquakes, and famine. Persecution and martyrdom a second. And then uh, the abomination 
that causes desolation. That's the Antichrist. We'll talk about that one. All right, let's take a look at these. Uh, these three. Let's look at, first of all, let's look at uh, the wars, the earthquakes, and the famines. Verse number seven. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famine. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, Josephus, the historian, tells us that in the years preceding the destruction of the temple, the Roman Empire was going through wars and rumors of wars because they were declining in power, and it was a very turbulent time. Even earthquake and famines were very prevalent in that day. But what Jesus is telling us is the same signs are going to accompany his second coming. They are going to be repeated. The same signs are going to be repeated, uh, indicating that the Lord's return is coming back. And these signs, these signs that we're looking at here, all three of them that we're looking at, all three of them are going to take place during the tribulation period. Now, I put together a chart that I want us to look at to kind of help us to see what we're looking at here when we talk about the parallels between the uh, Mark chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 6. Because Mark 13 parallels Revelation chapter 6 because Jesus is talking about the tribulation. Revelation 6 is about the tribulation. In fact, you'll notice in chapter 6, there are six of the seven seals are, are opened up. And the first seal is a white horse with a rider on a, with a crown on his head. Now, when you read about a rider on a white horse with a crown on his head, you obviously think, this must be the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is not. It is the ultimate false Christ. It is the Antichrist. And it parallels what Jesus warns in Mark chapter 13 about false Christ and false prophets and false teachers. So there's the parallel. Now, here we are in... In chapter 13 of Mark, verses 7 and 8, where he's talking about wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations, earthquakes and famine, that parallels the second, third, and fourth seal that are open. For example, the red horseman, the second seal, the red horse, the rider has a large sword in his hand, and he brings war to the world. The next sign, the next uh, seal, the third seal, is the black horse. He has scales in his hand. And the scales say that it will take a day's wages to buy a bread, a loaf of bread. We're talking about famine. And then the third, uh, the fourth seal is the pale horse. His, his name is death, and he comes with pestilence, or in other words, pandemics. What we're saying here is, and by the way, it concludes here in verse number 8, these are the beginning of birth pains. What Jesus is saying is, while these are going to be true in the tribulation on a scale never seen before, we're going to see them before the tribulation begins. We're going to see the beginning of them. Stop and think about this. The world we're living in today. A pandemic. Food shortages. Financial uncertainty. Political unrest. A war in Europe. Turmoil in the Middle East. The stage is being set. The players are getting in place. We're getting close to the Lord's return. 
The rapture is just around the corner. And Jesus says in verse 7, don't be alarmed, these things must happen. We're getting very close. Notice the next sign. Let's look at the next seal, the fifth seal you have in, in Revelation is you have martyrs in heaven who died during the tribulation. Let's read here in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse Mark 13. Look at verse number 9. Mark 9, 13. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Let's stop here for a minute. When you read the book of Acts, this is exactly what happened during those days prior to the destruction of the temple. The disciples went through all of that. Verse number 12, brother will betray brother to death. Father, a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Did you know that in the early years of Christianity, the persecution was so severe that some recanted their faith and even turned and reported on their family members, resulting in their own death. And what what we see here is the same thing is going to take place during the tribulation period. You know, during the tribulation period, you know, the rapture is going to take all believers out. But during the tribulation, millions of people are going to be saved. Let me read to you the fifth seal. Let me read to you the fifth seal out of Revelation chapter 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice and said, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been completed. In other words, these are believers in heaven who have been martyred during the tribulation period. And what Jesus is saying is, and by the way, let me say this. If you've been keeping up with the news the last couple days, good news for us, but have you been listening to the threats and the intimidation that has been made against churches and against Christians? And some of the Things, violent attacks that have been made against churches and pregnancy resource centers. You know, Jesus is saying, what he is saying to us is, when you see the stage being set, and it's being set, and you see the actors starting to take their place, and they're taking their place, the curtain is about to go up. The Lord is about to take us up and out of here. Now, Let's look at the third sign, uh, and that is the abomination that causes desolation. This is in Mark chapter uh, 13 again, verse 14. Let's go back one slide. <laughs> Mark 13, 14. When you, <laughs> there we go. Not quite that far. <laughs> sorry about that, Alan. There we go. That's, that's perfect. That'll work. I'm sorry. 
I always tell him when I say third, you go to the, but I, I didn't mean third in that regard. My bad, my bad on that one. Let's read Mark 13, verse 14. When you see, and this is the, the, the next sign, okay? When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those days will be of distress, be unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. He's taught this abomination of desolation is a reference to the Antichrist. The day is, during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple that will be built in Jerusalem, and he is going to say, I am God, and you will worship me. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes that he, the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God, or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple and proclaims himself to be God. That's what Jesus is talking about. The Antichrist, during the tribulation, is going to say, I am God, you will worship me. And when you think about the coming of the Antichrist, you know, one of the things that he's going to do, he's going to require everybody to get, to get a mark in their hand, right? Or the forehead. The infrastructure to do that is already here. They can put little computer chips in your hand. And they now have apps that you can get on your cell phone that can read those little chips. And during the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to make everybody get one, called the mark of the beast, and you'll not be able to buy groceries without it, you'll not be able to buy gas without it, you'll not be able to pay your bills without it, you will need that in order to survive. And it's already here. The structure, the infrastructure for it, already here. Something else I thought was interesting I heard this week. There's an organization called the World Economic Forum. I don't know if you've heard of it. They met not too long ago. They are trying to move the world towards what's called globalization. In other words, it is a world without borders. It will be a world with one economy, one exchange of finance, one economy, one government. And, and there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of big players moving this thing. For example, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, the World Court, the International Monetary Fund, the United Nations, the Gates Foundation, and many others are behind this movement to bring the world together as one. And that will all be under the Antichrist. It's coming. What, what Jesus is saying is, when you see the players getting in place, and you see the scene being set, you know something? The curtain's about to go up. The Lord's about to take us out of here. Now, third, here we go. Let's look at the third thing. Third, we're going to look at Jesus' prophecy 
of the far distant future, which is his second coming. So let's take a look at this. Verse number 24. In those days, following distress, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He's coming back. This is the second coming at the end of the tribulation to establish his kingdom. Now, when you read that, by the way, he's coming in the clouds with great power. You kind of think, well, he's coming, you know, vertically down through the clouds that are in the sky. I'm going to offer another another possible interpretation. Could the cloud that are coming with him be a large accompaniment of angels? That the angels dressed in white are so numerous and so thick, so many, that it will appear as if he's coming in clouds. Because notice the next verse, verse 27. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I think the Lord's coming back. He's coming back. And then verse and then in verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer's near, right? Even so, when you see these things happening, all these signs he's just given, when you see it happening, you know that it is near right at the door. What Jesus is saying is, when you see the players getting in place, and you see the scene being set, you know the curtain is about to go up. So we look at our world. Political instability, food shortages, pandemics, war in Europe, unrest in the Middle East, financial uncertainty. Wow. You talk about the stage being set. The actors are getting ready. We're close. Now, when is it? I don't know. I can't say. In fact, notice verse 32. Jesus says, no one knows about that day or hour. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I wish I could explain that one. I don't know why the Son does not, Jesus does not know the date, but he does. He's chosen not to know that. But it does reinforce the fact that nobody knows when the Lord's coming back. But it could be today. It could be day. It could be this week. The rapture, I mean. The rapture could be today. It could be this week. And by the way, let me say, if the Lord comes back, if the rapture takes place this week, services next Sunday will be canceled. Just say that. All right. <laughs> All right. So, why should I be concerned about the, the second coming of Christ? Why should I be, why should I study it? Why should I, fo- why should I be focused on it? The second coming of Christ is good news when we live in a bad news world. The second coming, you know, it's good news for those who are struggling with anxiety because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he's coming back. It's good news for those who are struggling with loneliness because when Jesus comes back, he's going to unite us with all of our loved ones who have gone on ahead of us. It's good news for all who are grieving because when Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe away all those tears. It's good news for everybody who's been a victim of injustice because he's the king of righteousness and he will make everything right. Remember the story of Cinderella? All right, Cinderella. She was living a life that was dreary and sad. 
She had a terrible existence. I mean, she's living with her stepmother and stepsisters, and they treat her terrible. I mean, her, her, her life is a, is a graveyard of buried hope. But then she has the opportunity to go to the ball. Remember? Was it her fairy godmother who comes to her and gives her the chance to go to the ball? And so she goes to the ball and she dances with the prince and has a wonderful evening. And then suddenly she hears the, the, the clock is chiming 12 because she has to be out of there by 12 o'clock because the chariot turns back into a pumpkin. The horses turn back into mice. You know, she's got to get out, out of the ballroom. And so she flees out. But she leaves a slipper behind. Remember? I think that's right. She leaves a slipper behind. Well, the next day, she still has, she's still living up in the attic and she's still under the same terrible conditions that her stepmother and stepsisters are putting her on. But you know what? She's sweeping now with a, with a smile on her face. She's mopping with spring in her step. She's washing with, with joy in her heart. I mean, she's mopping and sweeping and, and, and cleaning like she's never done before. She's, she's so happy and joyous. And you know why? Why has her attitude changed completely? Because she knows the prince is coming for her. He's looking for her. You know, our prince is coming. He's coming for us. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take us out of this old world and he's going to take us to his palace. And just knowing that, you know what? We can face anything that this world throws at us, knowing that our prince is coming. We can endure anything knowing, hey, our prince is coming. We can overcome anything knowing that our prince is coming for us and he's going to take us to his palace. And when that day comes, and it's coming, when that day comes, the wait will be worth it. So what can we take home out of this thing? I think we can sum this whole chapter up. The Lord's return, the Lord's return encourages us in this old life. And it prepares us for the next life too, by the way. It's encouraging to know that the Lord's coming back. He's going to take us out of this old world. And it also prepares us for the world to come. So, you know, the challenge really is for us. I think the challenge for us is we need to be ready. We need to get ready. We need to be ready. And we need to stay ready because the Lord is coming back. By the way, you know the first step in getting ready? Making sure you're saved. Making sure you're with the Lord because you don't want to get left behind and go through the tribulation. You want to be ready when the Lord comes back. If you've never put your trust in Christ, do that today. Put your trust in him. Believe upon him and you'll be ready when he comes. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for these amazing words, this incredible prophecy that the Lord gives us, knowing that uh, what he said would come to pass shortly was fulfilled exactly, and we know with confidence the Lord's coming back. Help us to be ready and prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and sing. Only trust him.
trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. For Jesus shed his precious blood, his service. So ministry, uh, the worship ministry team will be right after the service this morning. And we're glad you're here. If you'd like to talk or pray with myself or one of our elders, uh, we'll be up front and you just come up. We'll be here this morning after the service. Let's have a closing prayer. Father, we are thankful for the promise of Christ's return. We look forward to that day and we wait, knowing that soon our Prince is coming. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see.